the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. We are studying the Didache. Now, I, I get a little excited, and I'm not really communicating what I consider very well in this Didache. So I need to just slow down, let the presence of God be in my life, and um, look to Him for guidance and wisdom as we speak over the Didache, because I just get so dang excited about this book. Um, and, and you're probably like, why is he so excited about this book? It's because I have studied many of the books of the Bible, but I've never really done an in-depth study of the Didache. And, and whenever, you, whenever you teach something, God pours into you more than if you're just being taught something. It's something that uh, if any of you want to teach the Bible, um, you, or any of you who have taught the Bible, I'm sure you all have at some level taught the Bible, you realize that God probably pours more into the leader than he does into the students. I mean, it really is in teaching something, there is this incredible um, outpouring of God's presence and wisdom and guidance. I don't know, there's just something about, about studying a Bible when you're the teacher that brings it to a whole nother level. And I've read the Didache several times, but now that I'm teaching it, it is bringing out things that are very interesting and fascinating. So uh, I get excited about that. <laughs> and um, perhaps I get a little bit over anxious about that. And so I talk quickly and maybe I even have thoughts fire in my head that don't really communicate well in this medium. So I'm gonna try to slow down and I'm going to try to really unpack this uh, incredible book for you to understand and not just so that my brain fires off in random directions. How's that? I'm going to drink my cup of coffee. I drink decaf. Did you all know that? I drink decaf because uh, caffeine makes me even more hyper than I normally am. And I don't need to be more hyper than I normally am. So I drink, I drink decaffeinated coffee. My favorite coffee is uh, Yirgacheff. Uh, uh, it's a it's a Ethiopian Yirgacheff that comes in over Ethiopia out of Africa. Uh, you can get it at the uh, there's a guy that sells coffee at the barn on Old Spanish Trail, and uh, so if you go on Saturday morning, he'll give you a uh, if you buy a bag of coffee from him, he'll give you a couple cups of coffee to go, or you can buy a cup of coffee and. Um, Man, I haven't been there in a while, uh, but he does sell a, a decaffeinated Ethiopian Yirgacheff, which is, I mean, you can't get that at Safeway, okay, I'm just saying. But this this coffee you get at Safeway is not bad, don't get me wrong. This is actually safe. This is Dunkin' Donuts blend, I believe, from Safeway. <laughs> but I really like, I like all coffee, except I don't really like going down a rabbit hole, sorry. You're not gonna go down a rabbit hole about coffee and how much I don't like Starbucks coffee. All right, so... Uh, we are, uh, my candle is very, very light this morning. All right. We're in chapter three. That's where we left yesterday was chapter three. We got up to verse seven, but I was so excited about it that I think I was a little, I was missing and skipping over a few things, but we talked about the way of life and in the Didache, uh, it, it there's kind of three sections. The first is the way of life. The second section is the way of death. Uh, and then the third section is about some catechesis, about some early church doctrine and some early church uh, practices, particularly the sacraments, Holy Communion, baptism, worship, and those sort of things. So um, we are still at the beginning of the Didache, talking about the way of life. 
And if you remember, what we've talked about before is that the early church saw uh, a, the human being as a whole entire human being. It wasn't just a physical aspect. It was a physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, um, uh, intellectual, that we were all wrapped up into this complex thing called the human person. And in order for that human person to grow and to flourish and to be the person that God wants them to be, uh, you want to you wanna feed that person. Uh, and, and how you want to feed that person is what the early disciples called and what Jesus called the way of life. Although Jesus never really talked about the way of life. So this concept about the way of life and the way of death, uh, I don't see that necessarily in Scripture in those terms. But as you read the Didache, you do see that everything that Jesus taught was the way of life. Uh, and the things that he spoke out against was the way of death. And so it was natural for the early church when they talked about the speakings of Jesus that, that when Jesus told you to do something, that was the way of life. And when Jesus told you not to do something, that was the way of death. And you can almost, in our terms, we think of, of uh, a human as being a tree uh, with, with roots and, and the goal of every human's life uh, is to be is to grow into a huge tree with a big trunk and big roots planted by a living stream of water that the birds come and nest in their branches and that it bears fruit and that the whole world is blessed because of this huge tree. And you could almost picture the old oak tree out by the stream that has a tire swing on it and uh, and lots of acorns. And everybody in the community goes out to that old oak tree and sits under its branches and enjoys its beauty and its strength. And it's been there for a long time and it's endured many storms and weathered many events uh, because it is just a big, strong, solid oak tree. And that is the goal for every uh, Christian, for everyone who, who is a follower of Jesus Christ is to become that oak tree. And how does one become that oak tree? By following the way of life. That it, it, it's, like, it's like fertilizer that just penetrates deeply into the soil and gives life to that tree and helps it to grow big and strong. And then there's another thing that's called the way of death. And the way of death is like weed killer. It's like, um, oh, what, what are the different weed killers? You know, it's Roundup <laughs> that somebody is spraying around the root system that's destroying the root system. And it doesn't help the tree grow. As a matter of fact, if too much is in, uh, the presence of the tree, the tree will die. Uh, and so the tree needs, it needs water, it needs, it needs fertilizer, it needs sunlight from God, it needs CO2, it needs all that stuff to grow. Uh, and that's what the Didache talks about, that way of life that just helps a tree grow into the tree that God wants that tree to be. So that's the way of life. And we're talking now in chapter three about what the way of life looks like. And yesterday we looked at verses four through seven and I interspersed into those verses uh, the Greek words and what the meaning of those Greek words were. And uh, I'm just really gonna quickly pull up that screen again and take a look at it. Um, and we're just gonna see how far we got. Uh, so in the parentheses and italicies, that's the Greek word and what the Greek word means. So if I read it, uh, I'm just going to read, beginning in uh, verse 4. My child, 
regard not omens, and that's a bird watcher, and that's someone who uh, who looks to the sky or looks to the to the planets or looks to uh, birds or looks to anything to uh, to try to get a handle on to try to put uh, to try to capture God to try to um, maybe not dictate. God, but most people do want to control and capture God. Like they love that God is all powerful, but they want that power for themselves. And so, people who uh, look at omens, uh, what they call bird watchers, are people that look to the stars or to the heavens or to tea leaves or to anything to try to get a communication from God so that they can have power over other people. I mean, that's basically what it is. Why else would you want uh, God speaking to you? Um, through these types of means, unless you wanted to uh, tarot cards, right? Uh, Ouija boards, um, anything that where you believe that God is speaking through those means. But why do you want that stuff? Because we want answers, right? We want somebody to tell us the answer of the way to go. And instead of going to scripture, uh, instead of going to other Christian friends, uh, instead of the best way, <clears throat> which I find the most effective way is to just spend time in silence and solitude with the living creator of the universe who will pour into you. Uh, and if you spend enough time with him, he will begin to reveal to you what it is that he'd like you to do. That's the best way um, uh, to read scripture and then to meditate on that scripture in the presence of God in silence and solitude. If that that is the way to get, a, you know, for God to communicate with you um, or to at least kind of urge you on the way you should go. Uh, and then once you've been urged, you can talk to other, you know, beloved Christian friends to tell you, uh, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about it? And then those, uh, those wonderful Christian friends, if they truly are uh, also in tune with God, they can say, this, this sounds like a great idea. Or they could say, have you thought about this or that? I mean, those are the ways to get the communication from God, but not bird watching or tea leaves or tarot cards or all those different things that uh, can be used to try to channel God, uh, seances. Um, those, believe it or not, are the way of death. Uh, they're not, they're, they are not the way of life. It leads to idolatry. And uh, when, you, when you do these things, then you begin to serve the God that's behind the tea leaves and not serve the God who created the tea leaves. Don't be an enchanter or a charmer. Don't be an astrologer. Now, an astrologer, the word for astrologer is mathematicus. It's someone who's fond of learning or fond of astrological signs. Now, that sounds weird, but people would look at the stars and try to see if God could communicate through the stars. And, and we talked about this yesterday, but when I was a kid, uh, in the Arizona Republic, you had the Republic and the Gazette. The Republic was the morning newspaper and the Gazette was the evening newspaper. And I delivered newspapers for the Republic. Uh, so it was the better newspaper, of course, right? But all my friends who delivered for the Gazette said it was a better newspaper. And I will say this, it was a lot lighter. <laughs> they didn't have to deliver as heavy as the newspaper as we did um, because they didn't have as many inserts. Most people read the Republic, they didn't read the Gazette. But the Gazette had the evening news. The Republic had the overnight news. Um, so if you really wanted the news of the day, you know, they worked very hard to get the, that out into the Gazette. And my friends that delivered for the Gazette, they, they thought, you know, it was the best paper. Some people got both. Um, now we get it through this medium, what we call, you know, the Internet, <laughs> which is wonderful. 
no more no more paper boys, which I'm sad about. Rabbit hole. Okay, so um, uh, but in that newspaper, the Republic, every day you had the comics page, and then on the opposite face of the comics page, you had word puzzles, uh, and you had uh, Dear Abby. And then you also had somebody giving you uh, advice from the astrology sign. So if you're a Capricorn, today you're going to meet somebody special. If you're an Aquarius, today you'll get a raise. I mean, but it was always this, you know, it wasn't that specific. It was usually, you will be blessed today. And so the Capricorns would go out and somebody would say, hey, and they're like, hey, I got a blessing today, you know, and they, it reinforces the what... But God does not speak through astrological science, although he did through the Magi. You know, he gave a star in the north, but that was a special situation. Um, God uh, is, you don't need to go through astrological science to hear the word of God. You can go through his holy scripture and uh, reflect on his holy scripture in, uh, in silence and meditation and, and, and listening to God through his holy scripture. So that is the best way. So, uh, and I love mathematics, and I don't think they're talking about mathematics here. They're talking about, um, you know, trying to channel God through astrological science. Don't be a magician. And the word magician here, uh, in, in the rest of Scripture, the, the word magician is usually magi. So you have magicians from the East that came to worship Jesus. This one is perikathyro, which means to purify by means of the application of an object meant to observe Absorb defilement or control. So this is where um, where you do magic spells, or you. Uh, we talked yesterday about voodoo dolls, right? That you uh, that you hold on to a voodoo doll and you try to channel and control other people through the use of a voodoo doll or something like that. Uh, neither wish to see that these things, for from them is all idolatry. And you could see that if I mean, surely you can see this, right? That. If you start to do tarot cards or, or voodoo dolls or stuff like that, and people start to report back to you about how it came true, um, then you're going to continue to do that. And you're going to go down a very, very bad path. You're going to go down a path of idolatry. And then eventually you're going to go down a path of, uh, of death that is going to lead to your death. Because God doesn't work through those means. God works through his Holy Scripture. He had, in the Old Testament, he spoke through his prophets. Uh, but then he came and spoke through his son. And so the best way to get the word of God and in your life is to listen to his son. All right. Now, I think that's about how far we got really with those words. So verse five, we'll just look at that real quick. Verse five, my child be not a liar for lying leads to theft, nor a lover of money, nor vainglorious for from all these things are thefts engendered. So uh, don't be a liar. And uh, this is something uh, that you should, I, I just don't think anybody should be a liar. I mean, and of course the question is, what about a little white lie, right? Um, your wife comes up to you and says, does this dress make me look fat? Which is the worst question someone could ever ask you because how do you answer that question and not get into trouble. Oh, no, it doesn't make you look fat. And let's say it does. Or, oh, no, uh, you're, you're not. I mean, it's just, there are times when you say, oh, no, heavens, no, it looks great. Um, <laughs> Jesus said, speak the truth in love. Um, 
So if you can figure out a way to speak the truth in love, uh, that is always the best way. Uh, but don't be a liar. And, and all of you know this. If you're a mature Christian, the problem with lying is, and, and I was a horrible liar when I was a little kid. I didn't grow up in the faith. Uh, and so it was all about me and how I can protect myself and stuff like that. So I lied all the time. Big lies, little lies, I could, I could lie with the best of them. And um, it was horrible. It was really, really, truly horrible. The problem with lying that you'll find out if you're a big liar like I was when a little kid is that um, you forget who you told what to. Uh, and, then, and then you have to start covering your tracks and lies. And it just, it rips you up inside. You can't, if you've never been a liar, then praise God. But if, you, if you're like me and was when you're a little kid, then, then you have to say, who did I tell what to and all that sort of thing. And you begin to realize early on uh, that, that, that there is so many tracks to cover when you're a liar. And when I came to faith uh, in Jesus Christ and realized that lying was actually forbidden by God, I mean, it's not the way he wants us to live our life, um, then uh, it kind of freed me. It's like, okay, I will tell the truth. Because no matter how difficult the truth is, uh, Jesus wants me to tell the truth, so I'll tell the truth. And Because um, lying leads to theft, um, which I think it does. Um, nor a lover of money, and we talked about that, Phila Arguras, a lover of silver. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if money is the number one thing in your life, Jesus talked more about money, really, than anything else. And why was that? It's because money is one of those things that we can never get enough of and it will never satisfy us. Um, and obviously, we all need at some level some amount of money. There's no question about it. Uh, everybody needs a basic amount of money to survive. And in the Old Testament, uh, that denarius that was an Old Test that, that was enough to survive was kind of an agreement between society and the worker that if you work a full day's work, uh, you know, a worker in the field, that that denarius is enough money for you to live on. It was kind of like a minimum wage type of deal. And uh, so that, but that was an agreement between society and the worker that here's the bare minimum. But, so there's two parts to that. One is the society saying, here's the amount of money. But the other part was the society had to work together to find a way that that amount of money was enough to live on. And we are out of balance here in the United States. And we think it's because the wages are too low. But um, it could be that the wages are too low it, or it could be that our society has become so complex that the cost of everything is very, very high because we have so many things that you need in order to survive. You need water, you need food, you need shelter, you need today access to the internet, you need information. Uh, and all of these things are controlled um, to such a degree that the cost of them is very, very high. Uh, like housing, uh, it used to be that you just go get a plot of land and build a house. And if all you could afford was a very, very, you know, tiny house, then that was fine. But now it, government regulations forbid a tiny house. You, you know, there's, there's certain sizes, you know, unless you're talking about apartments, but even apartments, um, can be very, very expensive because of all the regulations that go into building an apartment and, uh, the, uh, the cost of liability insurance, believe it or not. 
The most sued company, the most sued landlords in the world are apartment landlords. Uh, and so uh, the, the liability insurance for that and the upkeep for that and the maintenance for that is all very, very expensive, probably much more expensive than if you owned your own house. You could, you could let a problem go for a month or two because it's not, you know, drip faucet, you know, but, but there's a lot of uh, protections. Uh, and so just the cost of an apartment is almost what it is, if not even more expensive than a house. Uh, which is just kind of crazy, but that's just the way life is. Um, and so you have to make, in order for the United States for you to have to make enough money to survive, a denarius isn't enough anymore. You need two or three or four denariuses. And um, so we are, uh, we are definitely a technically complex society. And the downside to a technically complex society is not everybody is able to make the amount of money for the bare living portion of it. Um, and that is, that is unfortunately true. Um, although, um, if you are able-bodied person, um, you know, you say, well, education is the key to everything. Not necessarily. Education is important up to a certain point, but if you're an able-bodied person and you could learn how to be a welder or a plumber or a, a finished carpenter or whatever, if they're, the trades right now are paying very, very well. Someone told me that a welder makes $100,000 a year, which if you think about it, is an incredible amount of money. I have no idea if that's true, uh, if a good welder makes that much money. But even if a, a good welder made half that much money, that's still more than enough you know, to, to live in today's society, especially, especially you know, if you have, um, of course, once you have kids, it all goes out the window, right? You never have enough money for kids. I'll tell you that right now, <laughs> having had four kids. All right, so... Uh, but, uh, when you are a, when you are a lover of money, um, you always want more, more, more. Uh, and, and Jesus spoke about how just to be, have content with what you have. Uh, and if we could figure out a way to be, for people to be content with what they have, how much far better off we would be. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about loving money and he said it was the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So uh, the way of life is to not be a lover of money. That's totally scriptural. Don't be vainglorious. Um, empty of glory. Keno doxas. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think the word vainglorious means? I, mean, I, think, I think you're looking for all the glory to yourself in vanity. Um, all is vanity. Um, that it's all about yourself and that you're this great person. Uh, you know, you're going to be the... You're going to be the person that saves the universe or whatever, but it's all emptiness. The words that you speak really aren't really helpful or good words. Um, so don't be vainglorious. For from these things are thefts endangered. So uh, if, you can't, if you can't be great based upon your own ability to, to be a child of the kingdom and you're trying to look for greatness you know, within yourself or to to lie to people or to have an empty greatness, then you're gonna then you're gonna steal and you're gonna rob because you're gonna try to get somebody else's greatness, and um, that is a way of death. That is not the way of life. Don't be a grumbler, for this leads to blasphemy. Don't be stubborn, nor a thinker of evil, for from all these are blasphemies engendered. Um, you ever met somebody that just grumbles all the time? They're never happy. Nobody wants to be around them. 
Um, I don't know if, now that grumbler, I don't know if that's really in the scriptures. Uh, maybe you can think of a place in scripture that says, don't be a grumbler. The word here is gangusas. Um, not exactly sure what gangusas means, but it sounds like, uh, you know, somebody who, uh, who complains all the time about everything. And you, you know who all these people are in your life. They never have anything good to say. They just grumble. These are the people that right now are going around to businesses in Pima County to find out if they're following the law. And if they're not following the letter of the law, then they're submitting the name to the Pima County Wall of Shame. And then others are seeing people in the Pima County Wall of Shame and sending death threats and evil notices to people. And I mean, I don't think grumbling is necessarily all that bad. I mean, sometimes we all grumble. But if you do it, that leads to evil. And if you do it all the time and nobody wants to be around you because you're a grumbler all the time, that, that is going to lead to, um, this leads to blasphemy. Uh, it leads to don't be stubborn. Don't be a thinker of evil for all these lead to blasphemy. So you're going to curse God because of your situation. So instead of looking inward and looking at yourself as to why you're in your situation that you're in, you blame God and you say, God, it's all your fault or it's all somebody else's fault. It's everybody's fault, but it's not my fault. Um, my grandmother, when she was in her 90s, I'd ask her how she's doing. She'd say, fine. And I knew she was in pain. And my dad's like, yeah, she's always been this way her whole life. And it's true. She never really did complain. Why? Because when you complain, nobody wants to be around you. And I guess when you're in your 90s, a lot of people, when they get into their 90s, just complain all the time, right? That's... Uh, very, very common. And of course, why wouldn't it be common? Because you're in pain or things aren't going well or you're approaching death. Um, so you do get some people that grumble a lot. Or you can get somebody who is approaching 100 who just enjoys the presence of God every day. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're not going to focus on all the bad stuff. We're just going to focus on the blessings of God and the blessings of each day uh, for all these blasphemies engendered. But be thou meek, for the meek shall inherit the earth. And that, of course, is from the Beatitudes, right? Um, that is totally from the Beatitudes. So as I look at this from verse 4 to 7, um, I can kind of see a good chunk of this as being scriptural. Um, I don't know if the grumbler part of it is, uh, but the rest of it is pretty much in line with what Jesus was teaching. Uh, and so um, and that's one of the things that we're looking at at the Didache is to see what, um, how much of this agrees with scripture. So, uh, it's time to go. So, um, let me just look at one more thing. Let me look at one more thing. Yeah, so I think we'll finish chapter three because there's not much to it. There's just a few more verses. Let's go. Chapter three, verse eight. Be thou long-suffering and merciful and guileless and quiet and good and ever fearing the words which thou hast heard. Thou shalt not exalt thyself, nor let thy soul be presumptuous. Thy soul shall not consort with the lofty, but thou shalt walk with righteous and humble men. Receive the accidents that befall to thee as good, knowing that nothing happens without God. And uh, th this, uh, be long-suffering, that, that's scriptural. Be merciful, scriptural, guileless, quiet, good. Ever fearing the words that you hear from God? Absolutely. All that's scriptural. Do not exalt yourself. 
Yeah, Jesus would say, you know, don't sit at the head of the table, sit at the end of the table. And if somebody brings you to the head of the table, then they've done that to you. But don't be presumptuous about who you are. Do not let your soul be presumptuous. Thy soul shall not consort with the lofty, but thou shalt walk with righteous and humble men. If that is not good advice, I don't know what is. Um, Seek out righteous people. Uh, Seek out humble people. Seek out people who understand that God has blessed them, and yet they have a smile on their face. And it's like, uh, you know, uh, how many of you have met these people in your life? I've met so many. Uh, Just people who live a humble life, and you talk to them, and it's not about who they are or the job they have or the education or the house or the car or the wealth or the, you know all that sort of thing. It's just that they get their energy and their living from just being a child of God and they're happy about that. And they humbly just follow God and they live the life that God has given them and they're, they're content in that. And those people seek them out. What is their secret to being content with what God's given them? And you'll find out that their secret is that God is first in their life and they're content with what God has given them. And so everything else is secondary. Now you will meet people, don't get me wrong, you will meet people that for whatever reason, God has blessed tremendously with with a lot of wealth. Uh, And they're also humble people. Those people are incredible too because it really is not the amount of wealth you have or or the car or whatever. What it truly is, is your relationship with God. Because I've also met some wealthy people that have no relationship with God and they're evil. Uh, and they use their wealth to destroy other people. They, they um, uh, you don't see too many of those people. Because usually if you, if you have, well, you don't see a lot of that in, uh, in first generation wealth. If you've earned the wealth yourself, you have to be at some level a good leader you have to be at some level a person that understands how to deal with other people. But if you've got second generation or third generation wealth and you didn't earn it yourself, it's just been given to you on your lap, <laughs> a lot of those people um, can be, not all of them. Uh, I'm just thinking mostly of Hollywood, you know, the Hollywood snobs, the, the children of, and the grandchildren of the Hollywood snobs. The best thing that a Hollywood actor that is wealthy can do for their children is not to give them a dime. Uh, that's what Bill Gates learned. He's like, I'm not going to give my children anything. It's all going to go into my foundation, the Gates Foundation, so that we can you know, do something because it will. Wealth that is inherited can kill people. It can destroy people. And um, you know what you want for the best for your children is you want them to deal with the fact that life can be hard. And then when they're in your house, you want to teach them how to deal with a hard life. Um, you know, the funniest thing, if I read, I'll end with this story and then we got to go. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, I met his, I read his uh, biography by Doris Kearns Goodwin, I think it was, The Titan. Uh, I, I think that's what it was, but it's, it's John D. Rockefeller and the wealthiest man that ever lived. And he did not want his children to be spoiled by wealth. He wanted them to earn it himself, themselves. Uh, and so from a very, very early age, he gave, he gave them the tools that he had to become the wealthiest man alive. And the tool was a pencil and a notebook. And every time he made a purchase, he wrote down what the cost of the purchase was in the notebook. Everything. <laughs> you know, a, a pickle from the store. He wrote it down. So at the end of the month, he would look at everything he'd purchased. And he would say, how can I 
reduce the cost of all these things. And he would look through and he goes, I don't need pickles. I don't need this. I don't need this. And the next month he would, he would remember that he said, I don't need this stuff. Now, some stuff he did do, but every day, every month, he would look at what he'd purchased and how he could reduce the cost of his purchases. This is the man who became the wealthiest man alive. Uh, up until his point. Maybe Solomon was wealthier, but I mean, he, he, John D. Rockefeller was one of the titans. Um, so he told, he gave these tools to his children. He goes, I want you to write down everything that you purchase. Well, one of his daughters went off to college and she was, um, he had given her a stipend and she was writing because he demanded these books. You know, I want to see your books, what you bought in college. So she, they, And went into the store uh, and saw a dress. And of course, the, her best friend knew that her dad was wealthy, but um, uh, went into the store and the man, and, and she said, I really like this dress, but I don't think I can afford it. You know, I think my dad's going to yell at me. And the owner of the store said, well, who's your father? And she said, well, it's, it's a guy named John D. Rockefeller. I don't know if you heard of him. Well, the owner of the store knew that John D. Rockefeller was the wealthiest man there was and was absolutely flabbergasted that this girl thought that she couldn't buy the dress because it would make her father angry. I mean, that is, my friends, that is the, t the types of tools we need to teach our children uh, is how to manage money. That is so much more important than just giving them money. It's, surely you see that. Um, so I don't even know why we got off into that, uh, but quiet and good, evil. Um, yeah, don't consort with the lofty, but shall walk with the righteous and humble men. So don't, you know, I think that's why a lot of these Hollywood people, you know, sons and daughters get into so much trouble is because they, they consort with people who are, you know, not righteous people. What they need to do is seek out righteous and humble people who've learned how to deal with hardships and live their life. Uh, receive the accidents they befall to thee as good, knowing that nothing happens without God. And for that, uh, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, as a verse that comes to me, uh, I can do all things. Um, all things work for good for those who love God, who have called according to his purpose. Or Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. All of that stuff is definitely uh, found in scripture. This is all good words. Um, so I would say in chapter three, we'll give it about a 98% in agreement with scripture. Uh, so there's nothing really wrong there. So um, we are going to, uh, we're going to belong today, but I don't have to go do the the drop off. There's no school today. So um, I think I'm going to end it there. So just to remind you, uh, when we get back together again, and this will this will help me, when we get back together again, we're going to start here. I'm just going to take a picture of it. All right. We're going to start in chapter four. The duties of the catechumens to the church against meanness, household duties against hypocrisy. Sounds like a fun topic, doesn't it? Uh, we're going to get together two weeks from Monday. Uh, which will be Monday, the 26th of October. Uh, and I will have probably seen all of you at the worship service at the 25th, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, and then uh, we're going to start getting together on a weekly basis, but we'll still continue doing this because uh, we will. So let's close in prayer. Gracious God, uh, thanks for the blessings of this day. Uh, over the next couple weeks, keep us all safe and in your care. Uh, thank you for time with family. Uh, we pray for travel mercies for those who are traveling. Uh, we pray for the students in the school that you would fill them with your love and joy and peace uh, and a vacation time for them and for the teachers too. Uh, give us this time of rest so that we can reflect upon you and your love 
and bring us back again safely uh, in two weeks. In Jesus' name, 